Welcome back to the Craft and Career podcast series, featuring conversations with professional creatives from the arts, entertainment, and media industries. This is where we consider various approaches to craft and career, and even consider how those two can sometimes work together. I'm Derek Webster, Senior Associate Director for Creative Careers at Yale's Office of Career Strategy, and it's my absolute privilege to welcome back our guest, legendary comic book creator and prolific writer, J.M. D. Mateus. And welcome back, J.M. Hello, Derek. <laughs> always, always a pleasure to have you back here after so long, right? Yes, um, it's been so long. I, I've just been waiting for this moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so let's pick it back up. We, you know, we, we actually got to the very end of our last conversation and we didn't get a chance to go as deeply into these questions of just kind of advisory level, like what, what you would give back, what, what tokens of, of, of wisdom, those sorts of things. Um, could you provide us one piece of advice, one piece that you would give to, let's say a student, young student, mm -hmm. soon to be graduating in process right now, They'd like to know, you know, if they're thinking similar paths, even relatable paths, um, what's the one piece you'd say? Like, remember this, tuck this in. Right. It, it ties into a little bit of what we spoke about before, about having a fierce will and a hard head. But this is, this is the advice that comes with that. Especially when you're going into the arts, you are going to be running into many, 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 uh, what, what I call the practical people. They have a very good intentions. And they're going to tell you every reason in the universe, good reasons sometimes, why you cannot do what you're setting out to do in the arts. Because you know how many people try to do this and they fail? It's only one person out of a million again. And it's like a, yeah. just all these reasons about why you cannot do it. Like I said, well-intentioned. But uh, you want to be an actor, you want to be a singer, you want to be a writer, you want to be, are you crazy? Don't you understand? You know, to, you know my, my parents' advice was always in, in New York City, take the civil service test, you know, you, or go be a teacher, you know, go do those things that you know, if you go to school and you do A, B, C, and D, you will have a job. Which, and by I the was, way, are those things that have more of that big C career kind of label. Yes, exactly. And the things that I was never, ever interested in. So, so my, my advice is always... Do not, under any circumstance, if this is what you want to do, ever listen to the practical people. Because it's not a practical choice <laughs> to want to be a writer or an artist or a musician or any of these things. It's not practical. It's completely impractical. It's based in the impractical. It's based in the metaphysical and the magical and the impractical, you know? So to listen to someone, you know, it's like, don't take advice from Mr. Spock, who's going to tell you all the logical reasons why you cannot do this, you know? <laughs> and they're all really good reasons, but they do not apply to you. You know, they just don't apply to you. So don't listen to the practical people. That's good. Follow your dreams, follow your passion and see where okay. it leads. And, the, uh, you know, the bottom line is, say you follow your passions and, and it gets you nowhere. See, I don't even believe that. It it's could somewhere. be. It could be that maybe you set out to be a writer and what you end up uh, is is teaching writing, you know, or, 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 you know, or you set out to work in theater and you end up in a high school teaching theater. I have I know someone in my area, wonderful, amazing woman teaches theater, used to teach theater at the local Catholic high school. Right. And you think a local Catholic high school in a small town in upstate New York. Uh, and, uh, you know, she started out, I'm sure, with bigger dreams than that. When I think of her, I always think of George Bailey because of all the lot. This woman is so gifted and all the kids, including my own daughter, who came through there and worked with her on these plays and were inspired and learned so much. 
And, you know, someone else would go, well, you know, she's not a Broadway star. She teaches theater at this uh, Catholic high school in, you know, in the middle of nowhere in New York, you know. And she has transformed more lives than I could possibly count, you know. So, all, you know, so you never know where, where the path will lead. But if you're following your passion, she followed her. She loved what she did. You know, she loved working with those kids and, and, and bringing their talents out and, and taking chaos and turning it into a show and, and amazing, amazing woman. And, and I always think about that. I always think about that. And so, you know, you, you don't know where it's going to end up. Uh, you know, you might set out to write the great American novel and end up writing a comic book. <laughs> you know, you just don't know. And it may never have been on your list. And you may discover that writing a comic book is the coolest thing that ever happened. And in so, terms of that, that impact you talked about, you might actually end up having more, you know, uh, social engagement that's and true. impact by because, writing that comic book. Because the, those stories will travel across the world. And, and maybe that novel of yours will, might even get published and, and it'll sell 72 copies. And, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, it still delights and astonishes and moves me. To this day, when I run into people at conventions, especially in recent years, have been a lot more international conventions, and I go to some other country, you know, I'm in Italy or Mexico or wherever, and some person comes up to me and says, I've been reading your work my entire life. This story touched my heart. It made me see the world in a different way. It's incredible, you know, because I always say, you know, I'm, I, I'm at home alone with my imaginary friends, and I know these things are getting published and they're sailing out into the world. When you're sitting with someone face to face and you realize not only has their work gone out, it's literally traveled around the world. It's an yeah. extraordinary thing, and, and I never take it for granted, and it's deeply moving, and I'm always, always, always grateful. That's great. Can you think of one decision that you've made that if you could, you'd take back? And, and, and particularly within thinking in, in, in professional sort of decision. No, you know, <laughs> just because, good. because, you know, I'm not saying anything that a thousand people haven't said before me. Every time I've made a bad decision, allegedly, and screwed up, I learned something. And it may have been humiliating in the moment, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but well, how about that then? What, what about an example of a decision that at the moment seemed wrong or, or immediately seemed like, oh, no, that, that was the wrong turn? but turned oh. out to prove differently. Oh, I'll tell you. Here's a, here's a story. I don't know if I've ever told this story before. Early on, when I when I started uh, freelancing for Marvel, there was a wonderful writer there named Roger Stern. Uh, we had some conversations, you know, what are you working on? What are you doing on it? And he was working on Captain America at the time. And he told me this Captain America story where they had been stuck on a, on a plot element and they went to the editor-in-chief, Tim Shooter, who came up with this great idea to help him get out of that one plot point in the story. And so time went by. He's no longer writing Captain America. I'm now working a lot more for Marvel. I'm writing Captain America. And I'm writing a story that's not the same story he was working on, but I got stuck against the same wall. And I thought, oh, I remember that, that that idea that Roger told me about. It had to do with, you know, Captain America being trapped by what he thought were these monstrous creatures. So Captain America is known for his inspirational powers. So he gives a speech to inspire them. And I was in a similar situation. How do I get out of this? I remember that. Now, I wasn't trying to steal the story. In fact, I wrote a whole long thing for the letters page explaining where this idea came from and giving credit to the people that it came from. You know, you know Roger's not writing Captain America anymore, so I'm not worried about that. But I didn't think of step one, which is the step, the basic step for any idiot, pick up the phone and call the other writer and say, remember that idea you told me two years ago or a year and a half ago, whatever it was, I'm in a similar place. So I thought I was going to use that. I, I thought I'd use that idea. And they would say, yeah, of course. Or they'd say, no, no, no. 
Well, so I use the idea, I write this thing up, and it turns out, no, Roger's not working on Captain America anymore, but he and John Byrne are doing a graphic novel with that story that he told me about mm. a year and a half ago, and I've just ruined it. Yeah. And I wow. was humiliated and, you know, crawled on my belly and called him up and apologized, and I hope, you know, 35 years later he's forgiven me because he's someone I really respect and admire. But I was completely ignorant. I just thought, oh, I'm, I'm putting something in the comic acknowledging where the idea came from. I'm not trying to steal it, you know? And then the topper was that the editor or the assistant editor or the editor-in-chief took this whole long thing I wrote, like this story that I just explained to you, and cut it down to like two lines. So it looked like I was just brushing it off. Yeah, yeah, this idea came from those guys, uh, you know? Uh, right. Whereas I really went into detail and explained, you know, and was very grateful in what I wrote. So that was one of the more humiliating moments in my career, and I learned my lesson, you know? If anything like that ever comes up, you know, if that's something that someone said to you that you think you're going to use in a story, pick up the damn phone. Just make sure that it's okay. You know, that's great. I would think nine out of 10 times it's going to be okay, but I happen to run into the 10th time and I really screwed something up there. Yeah, that's great advice. Especially in a shared universe, you know, where everybody's right. working we'll on talk about community, characters. right? Yeah. We were talking yeah. last time about community and yes, exactly. community. That's, that's how you win points or lose points. Right, exactly. Had it happened to me too. I had a, uh, I don't have to get into who the writer was, but I, I, and he didn't do it intentionally. I had a character of mine that I was using in a story and had a character that I created that I hadn't used for a while. And he's in this really big Spider-Man story. And then that month, some other book comes out and this other writer used the character and I found out he thought he'd created him because <laughs> he must have read the story and forgotten about it. And then all of a sudden, there's my character yeah. walking along, you know, and it, you know, it didn't, it didn't completely torpedo my story. It just took some, a little bit of air out of it. You know, it's like, it's especially in, in these shared universes. And now it's not just comics, it's movies, it's TV. Everybody's working in shared universes now. Yeah. Everybody has to watch each other's back and make sure everything is coordinated. And now it's it's to the point where I think it's ridiculous and can be harmful to storytelling, honestly. I was actually going to ask you about that. I was, you know, you, you've been both the expander and creator of countless characters across the Marvel and DC universe and some creator-owned things as well. And what does it feel like to see, I mean, just in the like the last 10 years, or so what's happened in terms of the, the popular introduction of some of these characters in a way where it used to be, we talked about sort of the niche, those comic book people, right? Right. right. But, but now it's not niche, right? Like it's, it's, that's popular culture in a lot of ways. What does that feel like? How does that complicate things? What, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, it is popular culture and it's not at the same time, because I think the comics themselves are still the niche. You know what I mean? It's still yeah. this group of hardcore fans who love comics. Now they love and they'll run to see every movie and watch every TV show too, because they're so in love with these characters. But I go to, when I go to conventions, when I did go to conventions before there was a global pandemic, and every year there's more people at the convention. Well, every year the comic book sales aren't going through the roof necessarily. You know, <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe those movies and TV shows are bringing in some people, but a lot of people are showing up at these conventions who have never in their lives read a comic book or a graphic novel. They're there because of the movies and the TV shows, maybe the video games, the cartoons. Working in animation, I've saw there's a whole other audience of people that are into the animated versions of these characters. I mean, they don't know me from the comics. They know me from the animation. Correct. So it's 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 sort of a weird thing to see these characters explode in these incredible ways. And yet, in some ways, it's it's all because of the comics, but the wave doesn't necessarily sweep back. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting thing. That is. And there was an era, let's say like in 80s, 90s, when in some ways the movies that would make it to the screen would be answerable to the comic books in some way, right? Like they had to try to attract that audience. And, and this is right. Pretty, 
it, it changed a little with Batman and those sorts of things. But I wonder, like, as a comic creator, still, you know, up to the neck in those kinds of projects and the animation, do you feel like you're ever answerable to the, the MCU now? Like, the, you know, answerable to what has been codified and canonized in some ways by popular culture? No, in fact, I think one of the problems that we've seen over the years is that there's not a, you know, and, I, and I've had the same thing because in animation, I've had to adapt other people's stories for animated movies, you know, and I have to, I've had to pull those stories apart and put them together in new forms. So that's what they're doing. You know, they're trying to stay true, which I try to do, stay true to the essence of who these characters are. But you don't have to stay true to the letter of these things. So and 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 in reverse, I think a lot of people, if you if you go and see the if all the people that love the Avengers were buying Avengers comics, Avengers would be selling 10 million copies a month. You know? <laughs> um, and chances are, if you pick up the Avengers, it's going to be nothing like that movie. You know, maybe they'll like. You know, oh, there's a Doctor Strange movie coming out, so they'll pump out a lot more Doctor Strange comics, but it won't necessarily really be relatable as the Doctor Strange that they see in that movie. There should probably always be one comic that's exactly like the movie for those people that only know the movies and want to read a comic book. And then maybe that would be a jumping off point. But very often that's not how it is, unless it's the adaptation of the hit film, you know, that whole kind of thing. So so you have an artistic creative background that is not just... In, in writing, not just in comics, not just in television, musical background, artistic background. Yeah. Um, how, how important are those things to, as, as feeders, as expanders, as, as you know, a growth place for your, going back to the idea of what I think of as craft as being, you know, the actual practice of putting art in form. How important are those things to keep you going? How important are they to keep fostering those even on, on yeah. the side. Um, any, what does that look like? any kind of creative engagement feeds every other kind of creative engagement. You know, it's an old cliche too. If you're stuck on your story, go play the piano for an hour. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> go do Shakespeare in the park, whatever, whatever <laughs> makes you happy, you know? You know, I spent my childhood drawing. That was my first passion, my first love. You could find me on the floor of my living room, you know, with a comic book cover and then uh, some paper and crayons doing a freehand replica of that cover, you know, or drawing my own comics. Uh, I still remember my friend Bob Izzo and I, you know, we did a two 40-page war comics that we created ourselves. We wrote the story and I drew it. We called, you know, so that was my childhood. And then I discovered rock and roll and, and music became a huge part of it. And one, yes, one thing absolutely feeds into the other because it's all the same creative channel it's all we talked about the unconscious it's all coming if i sit down now and i still play music and i still write songs to write a song ultimately it's the same process in a completely different way but it's the same basic process of opening up the doors of the unconscious to see what's there i've had songs where i walk into a room and suddenly there's a song playing in my head like it's a radio oh i better go back and get my guitar and write that song you know or i just start banging on the piano and 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 singing a melody and some words come well where is it coming from i don't know but oh there's an idea here oh it's a story oh it's a song yeah. you know and where the hell does the melody come from you know and you know i never thought about this too because i talk a lot about the the link between music and writing because i find the active writing to be a very musical endeavor and the active writing for comics especially we were writing in these little boxes you know, almost like poetry or, or song lyrics and, and there's rhythm and there's melody to the whole mm-hmm. and the way it intertwines with the art. But, you know, in comics, everybody, the thing with the shared human universe is everyone is building on what someone else has done before. If only in the fact that I'm writing a Spider-Man story. I didn't create that character. That character was created 60 years ago, whatever it is now, you know, and then there've been 500 stories that have gone into my unconscious that are coming out through this quote original story I'm writing now. It's the same with music. I will sit down sometimes and play another song. I love the Beatles. I'll find some old Beatles song and start playing with the chords and I'll go, oh, that's a really cool chord sequence there. Well, you can take 
those four chords from whatever, you know, across the universe, the long and winding road, take your pick and lay a completely different melody over that, which will then lead you to a bunch of different chords. And you have a whole other song that has nothing to do with that original song that inspired you. And writing is the same way. Everybody, movies, movie makers, look at Quentin Tarantino. He's taken everything from every movie he's ever seen. Yeah. You know, I love that scene and I love that movie and I love this bit, but he filters it through his Quentin Tarantino-ness. <laughs> and what you, what you hope is, you know, when you, you've succeeded, when you've taken all those influences and it comes out the other end as something that is a unique reflection of you. And you failed when it goes out and they go, oh, that's just like that story. You just copied that story. Right. You know? It's what you do with it. Yeah, but I never thought about the thing with writing songs, and it really, really relates. Because we're all influenced by everything. Anyone, maybe there's there are like one half of one percent of geniuses out there who are so incredibly original that nothing influences them. They are like they have just been minted. They're unique. They're brand new, and magic and miracle. They'll open their mouth, and magic and miracles will pour out. But the rest of us <laughs> are, are reflecting all our influences. Every story you've ever read, every song you've ever heard, every picture you've ever seen, every. TV show and movie you've ever watched. It's all in your unconscious. And then your unconscious picks and chooses things that reflect the essence of who you are. And you take all that and you pour it out. That's great. Thank you too. I mean, even more specifically with, within writing as, as its own business, you've worked television, film, comic books, animated prose, literary prose. How do you distinguish or, or feel or are drawn in different ways to each of those different writing? Um, there's there's two answers really one is what i discovered is story is story is story it's kind of like what we're saying about you know the filter the, you know the stuff that comes to your unconscious and goes through a specific filter well each form is its own specific filter too you know here's this story I have this great story can it go through the filter of a graphic novel is it the filter of a prose piece maybe it's a screenplay well each of those things are very specific forms it's like if i have a great idea and i'm going to write an epic poem or i'm going to write a haiku they're going to come out really different even if it's the same idea that i'm trying to communicate so, you know, a screenplay is a very, very, very specific form. So that story will come out differently. A comic book, you know, people that don't have never written comics and then you hear when they, they try writing comics, they go, oh my God, this is really difficult because it's a really specific form telling stories in panels uh, and making sure that there's a panel to panel flow, that there's visual movement, make, telling things in captions. And it's a very unique and strange language that is unique to comics. And then there's prose where it's sort of like doors open. It's, there's so much freedom and there's so much choice. It's almost like you're in the middle of the ocean surrounded by like words in every direction and how do i pull all this together when i have in a lot of ways complete freedom you know maybe someone will say we need this to be only 300 pages long or whatever or it's a novella so don't make it more than whatever but within that you know you have infinite choices and then I, for me personally probably because i've done prose but i haven't done tons of prose so I, I, I revere prose. So when I'm writing prose, it becomes like, ah, oh, prose. You know what I mean? And it, it intimidates me for a while and it gets me anxious. And then I have to get over that and just dive in and realize I'm just telling a story. I'm just telling a story. And then there's weird things like if you have a certain kind of brain like I do, like I had a, a lot of uh, learning disabilities growing up, you know, and so I have certain visual things that are difficult for me. So certain formats work for my brain. Certain formats don't. Certain fonts will work. I, I need it smaller. If it's bigger, suddenly, if I double, it sounds weird. If I double space something, it's harder for me to write it than if I single space it. I'm working on this big prose piece now. It's supposed to be double spaced. I'm writing everything single spaced because my brain needs that. I'll double space it later when I'm done, you know? Yeah, yeah. But the way I see it 
it has to fit with this, this very peculiar perceptual thing that I have visually on a page or a computer screen. And, and so when you start in a new format, like you start in a screenplay format, for someone like me, it's going to take a little bit for your brain to go, wait, what is this? You got to put this here. It's very specific. The name goes there. The description goes there. The dialogue goes there. And for anybody, learning a new form is difficult. And if you have any of those kind of perceptual problems that I do, but then what happens is at some point, it just sort of, in the beginning, you're just so, you're so focused on the form that almost what you're communicating through the form gets lost because you're just so focused on learning the form. When I started in comics, it was like, uh, my, my first editor, I, I often tell this story, he gave me these rules, no more than 5.5 panels on a page, no more than 35 words per panel. Well, if you know my work, it's nothing like that now, but it was a great way to learn because it is, it's like poetry. They're trying to teach you to shut up and get to the essence of the story. And I would sit and count. 35 words. Oh, there's 38 words. I better get it down to 35 words. Oh, there's seven panels. I might have to average them out to five. And it was a great way to learn. It was a really great way to learn. But in the beginning, it was all about learning that form. Screenplay in the beginning was all about learning that form. Yeah. And then once you learn the form, as the the other old cliche, once you learn the rules, you can break the rules and you can do whatever the hell you want to do with them. You know? Sure. So I got a lot more than 35 words per panel. And you know my work, so you know that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, something like Moonshadow, I think, is is almost playing with form in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, and we did play with form because a lot of what I've done has been because I love prose so much, it's been kind I was going to say very prose-inspired. Fusion yeah. of prose and comics. So if I want to do three pages where it's just an illustration with prose on it and then jump into five pages of, of classic comics, you know, it might even be, you know, visuals with no words and then back to three pages of prose, you know. So the truth is through my comic book work, I've written a lot of prose because I lean into that side of things. You know, people talk about comics as movies on paper and they can be that. But they can be a lot of other things. And I think of them as a fusion between novels and poetry and music and then art, all kind of thrown together in this blender. And and really, when it comes to words and pictures, there is no definition of comics beyond that. Anything that you do that's words and pictures is a comic book, as far as I'm concerned. You know, some some William Blake was a comic book. Took the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly (laughs) what I was going to say. You know, I remember when Moonshadow came back and one, one artist said, it's really good, but it's not a comic book because it didn't fit his mold of what a right. comic book was. But it's words and pictures, however we chose to do it. Yeah. Did, do you ever take projects and in an early development or exploratory phase, just dabble in different formats to see, maybe I'll try this as a comic, but no, no, it's not quite working. Let me take it back and think about it more for as prose. Does that ever factor in or usually planning? In, in, not, not in the actual writing. I think maybe in my head, yeah. you know, I'll get an idea and think, oh, that's a movie. That's a TV pilot. You know, that's, you know, no, this is definitely a comic book. Oh, this is a novel. But I, I, it's not that I may try that, try it in those different forms. I now have to think, have I ever done that? I might have done that somewhere along the way. But, uh, you know, started something, started, oh, yeah, well, you know, yeah, I've started things. I have one thing that I did as a comic, but it started as a short story. I worked on it as a screenplay. It ended up being a comic. So, yeah. But that wasn't me trying it out. That was just it was, I thought it was going to be a short story and that didn't work. And then I thought it was going to be a screenplay and that didn't work. So it ended up being a comic. (laughs) Once all the rest are eliminated, you know where it always Right, exactly. And also it has to do with who's the person that's going to pay you for it and buy it. Yep, we're back to, back to the career side. Right, so there there is, you know, and there is, there is always, there is always that, you know, if you want to be in a garret and just, you know, paint your painting and you don't care about having to support yourself or feed your family or do any of those things, or if, 
you know, we talked earlier about the people that 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 don't have a hard head and they're really, really talented and they go out and they meet with rejection and they crawl home. But they may discover that they want to be close to back with that, that conversation earlier about the woman who taught, taught the local theater. Maybe they want to act in, in community theater. Maybe they want to, you know, play in, a, play in a local band with some friends on Saturday night. They Or they just want to paint for the joy of painting. You don't have to be paid for that work. You don't have to get it out into the world in a big way. The creative act is the creative act, whether you're painting for yourself or it's hanging in a museum and a million people are walking by, ooing and eyeing over. And that's, you know, that's what music has become for me over the years. It's my thing for me. And I may go and get together with other musicians, or I may occasionally perform or go record them, you know, but I'm not recording them thinking I'm going to have a hit album that's going to be out on the radio, uh, if, if people even listen to the radio anymore. I'm doing it for the sheer creative joy of it. Yeah. Have you been playing around with or looking in the direction of, I, I know you've got a history of, of being both a fan and interested in the old radio show shows and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, have you been exploring at all this expansion into audio narratives and, and, and that sort of world? Uh, I'm very intrigued by it. A few years back, I got approached by, I'm going to screw up what it's called because I don't remember, but it's sort of like the National Radio Drama Association or something. It's not the name of it. Yeah. And they do a big like you know, event slash workshop every year where people come from all over the country. And they asked me to be artist in residence, although I couldn't go there. It turned out I was artist in residence from home, you know, but I got to write a radio drama. Oh, wow. You know, I got to write like a little radio version of a Twilight Zone episode. And it was an idea that I'd had from years before. We were kind of talking earlier about the shoemaker and the elves. You know, I was looking through my files when files were paper, you know, mm-hmm. all my old stuff from like the 80s. And I found this story and it was like, who wrote this? I guess I did. This is great. <laughs> and I turned it with their help because, you know, again, it was a new form. And as much as I love radio, drama and old radio and all that stuff when you're writing it you have to learn all the little bits and pieces and how to communicate your story through that form so it was a real uh, lesson and I got to write this cool story and they and as part of the festival uh, they acted recorded and broadcast it fantastic yeah was that, was that it was, sort of a dream <laughs> it was it was great yeah i often think god if i could go back in time you know i'd like to have a job being one of the writers on the jack benny radio show or something or working with orson wells you know on mercury theater on the air you know because i love it's 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 kind of like comics audio drama mm-hmm. because comics you know you go to see a movie based on a comic book you're just you're it's being done to you movies and tv and you sit and you receive and it impacts your emotions of course and there's right. something going but when you are reading a comic book, you're looking at static images and your mind is making them move. You're reading dialogue and your mind is providing the voices of the characters, of the voices of the narrator. You're feeling, you know, the comic book cannot exist without the reader. And radio was just like that. Radio, why I love it to this day is I can close my eyes listen to what's coming over in the sound and there's a movie that plays in my head and that movie is just mine no one else has the same movie a thousand people listen to the same thing uh, orson welles presents a tale of two cities you know his adaptation of, or i don't know if you've ever heard orson welles Les Miserables. one of the first things he ever did on radio and it's like, just amazing but when i close my eyes what i'm going to see is not what you're going to see right my jean valjean won't be your jean valjean even though they'll have the same voice you know and that's the magic of radio and that's also the magic of comics too and it won't be hugh jackman either no, it will not. <laughs> or maybe it will be. Maybe that's it will true. be. Right. For someone else, it might <laughs> yeah. be. Yeah. yeah Which I, I actually, I, I liked his performance. I, said that <laughs> I, I did too. I like you, Jack. Um, so almost time to wrap up. I, okay. Two more things I wanted to put for you. One's a very unfair question. Which how is, dare you? How dare I? What is your favorite creative project and why? 
<laughs> I told you it was going to be unfair. See, I've been, Derek, I've been doing this for four decades, 40 years. Yep. So to it's pick a lot. one thing. What's the first one that rose to the surface when I said that? It doesn't, you're, you're not committing. You're not committing. It's like, it's like a three-way tie. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Just th those three. What three? In comics and uh, graphic novels, it would be Moonshadow. Yeah. Brooklyn Dreams, which is really a mirror project of Moonshadow. Moonshadow was my life coming of age in Brooklyn turned into cosmic fantasy. Yeah. And Brooklyn Dreams was straight autobiography. Very, very, very thinly veiled. And then there's Abadazad, which is sort of like an Oz-like fantasy, but it also has its, roots, has its roots in Brooklyn too, you know? That's one of my favorite projects that I've ever done, partly because it died young. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but if I was going to pick my three favorite projects of all time, that would be those. And in, a, in animation, uh, there's a movie that I did, a John Constantine movie called uh, uh, Constantine City of Demons. And there's a short that we did, just came out, I guess, in 2020, I think. The first uh, first time any of Neil Gaiman's Sandman characters were adapted to animation, we did a short with the character Death. It's oh, like a 20-minute yeah. like Twilight Zone episode, almost. Mm -hmm. And it was a story that originated with the director, but then the producer, Jim Krieg, and I grabbed onto it. It was a story that became profoundly personal for all three of us, because it's about what, we're, what we've been talking about. It's about the artist's journey. It's about dealing with rejection. It's about dealing with the practical people who tell you no. And it's one of my favorite things I've ever done in, in any medium. And then, you know, some of those shows I've worked on, uh, I was just watching. <laughs> There's a, so there was a show called Batman, the Brave and the Bold. And it was, it was, you know, it was not the dark, dark night Batman. It was a Batman geared sort of for like a show that an adult could watch with their kid and they could both enjoy it. But we did this episode. They handed me this basic story. There's this Android character called the Red Tornado and he builds the sun, you know? So part of it is sort of like Andy and Opie, you know, as the Red Tornado <laughs> teaches his son about life. But then something goes wrong with the sun and it ends up with him actually having to like turn his son off forever, mm -hmm. essentially a mercy killing and a kid friendly show. Okay. But I hadn't seen that episode in a really long time. And I went, holy, that's really good, you know, and yeah. it's really deep and it's really emotional. And it's 22 minutes in a kid friendly cartoon. Who to thunk it? You know what I mean? Not me. You know, like I said, I kind of stumbled into animation. I, I had to learn how great it was. But, you know, there's some projects that come to mind, but certainly in comics, Moonshadow, Brooklyn Dreams, and, uh, and Bodicide. But again, in 40 years, I could list 15 other comic book projects that are as dear to my heart as the ones I've mentioned and mean as much to me on a personal level. Yeah, it's interesting that the, the, the ones that came to the surface tend to be ones that, whether obvious or not, you felt personal and almost not. Yes. It's not not necessarily autobiographical, but, but in some cases, yes. And in some cases, just inspired on a personal level. Right, exactly. Well, Brooklyn Dreams and Moonshadow uh, are auto autobiographical. Moonshadow is autobiography disguised uh, right. as fantasy or using fantasy metaphor for what my life really was. And Brooklyn Dreams is the mirror, the real life mirror of that. And if you read both of them side by side, I think they go very nicely together. Yeah. And, so and again, I, even, even Abadazad, the main character is this girl from Brooklyn. And I realized as I was writing her, her voice was 17 year old me. You know what I mean? That's, right. I'm still in touch with him and he's still talking. You know? Right. So I would recommend our audience go check out any of those things. But lastly, what's on the horizon? Anything that we, you know, 
else we'd like people to know about that uh, we can connect people to? Uh, what's out there working now? Working on now or about to come out? In- yeah, yeah, yeah. What I'm working on now, actually, it, it unites both those worlds. One of the one of the shows that I wrote for was called Justice League Unlimited, uh, which was on in the early 2000s. I think it probably went off in 2006 or something. And it's gone on to become like one of the definitive versions of the Justice League. Uh, it's, 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 it's built, it's, its legend has grown with the years. So I'm working with James Tucker, who was a producer on that show. And in comic book form, we're essentially doing the next season of that show. And we are having so much fun. It's called Justice League Infinity. And it's just been a joy uh, at, at Marvel coming out in January. And I would never be able to explain this to a non-comic book fan. It's called Ben Riley Spider-Man. If you know what that means, you will love it. If you don't, you might be a little confused. But it's you a char- check it out anyway, though. <laughs> it's a character that I love that I haven't worked on in like, you know, quite a few years. And I'm having a blast with that. I am working that was like on- 90s era? Was that 90s era? Yeah, that was 90s era. I wrote some stories with him after that. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe the most recent one was about eight years ago or something. I'm working, and a lot of these other things I can't really talk about. I'm working with a company in another country on a, on, a, on what will hopefully be a series of animated movies. So there's that animation, which is, it's, it's a big project because they're trying to do, I can't get into what they're trying to do, so forget it. Okay. <laughs> I All signed right, an right. NDA, I can't tell you. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, so, that, so that's nice. I have the comic book stuff. I have the animation stuff. I mentioned I'm working on this, on this novella, which will be going out into the world, hopefully, I'm hoping maybe early next year, the first okay. quarter of next year. And that's been great to be working on prose again. Then on the other side of the comic book uh, thing is that, you know, there's like working on those characters. And then, as you know, there's creating your own stuff, stuff like Moonshadow and Brooklyn Dream. So I have a, a bunch of creator owned stuff that I'm developing and I'm waiting to get answers about some of it. Some of it, might, you know, with these with, the, with these publishers, some of it uh, may come out next year via my first Kickstarter. We're talking about that, which is another new thing that's happened in recent years, which takes away one more wall between the creator and the audience. You know, there's all these things like Kickstarters and Substack and all this stuff where it's, you know, and the, the great thing about the creator-owned work is like, there's not even editor, an editor sitting over your shoulder. It's just you and your artist creating the thing that you want to create exactly the way you want to create it and then sailing your little boat out into the world, you know? And that's great. Yeah. So I have, well, yeah, a lot of projects and I'm sure I'm forgetting something along the way, but... Um, well, all of that, and we'll we'll drop some links into the, the, the notes as well. Oh yeah, and then there's my workshops too. I, I brought my workshop online uh, this past year. I don't have any scheduled right now, but there will definitely be more. And if people go to my to my uh, website, to the workshop section, they'll see that there. And then there's also, as you know, a story consultation section too, which is another fun thing I get to do, which is working with writers one-on-one. And they yeah. come to me with their comic books or their novels or their screenplays. And I read them and we get on Skype and we, we dissect them and I help them to tell their story in the best way possible. Fantastic. So yeah, we'll get some links in there as well for anyone interested in exploring that further. And that's that's it for today. Um, uh, Jam, this is always such a pleasure. And then particularly, you know, uh, I'm, I'm happy to have brought you into sort of the this Yale pantheon of conversation. Um, and I'm in, I'm in a pantheon now. In, 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 in the pantheon of, of all the shows that Yale puts together. We're, we're one That's tiny great. little That's one. Great. We're one tiny little one. Right. But it's, it's nice because it's, it's going out into a different quadrant of the galaxy than what I'm exactly. talking and, to. Yeah. And I think it's a quadrant that would really love to hear more and, and, and you know, uh, learn more for, from you. So thank you so much. I really appreciate well, it. Well, Derek, uh, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. So. Absolutely. So as always, don't be afraid to use the word career, but always stay happy. Thank you.